Well, we're trying to see if the intro's playing. Maybe the intro's not going to play this evening. <clears throat> I'm sorry, everybody. And here we are, no driving gloves. Doing this uh, live live stream stuff is a little bit interesting because, hey, we got to be on time. I think we're going to have somebody joining us a little bit later. I really hope so. Um, you know, uh, I'm going to get really boring because I really didn't come prepared to do a solo show tonight. But again, welcome to No Driving Gloves. We're doing the live stream stuff. You guys wanted us to do the live stream stuff and got some some feedback. You know, last week was kind of a surprise that we actually popped it up as a live stream. We're doing it again. We're only on the YouTubes as opposed to the Facebook and YouTube. Next week will not be a live stream. Um, I've got to take the night off, but we've also got a pre-recorded show. Really good interview we did. And uh, really hope you tune into that one. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Um, wonderful gentleman. Got a lot of things going on in Detroit. Uh, things tying in with the Woodward Dream Cruise and that. Be sure to tune in for next week's episode. I'm really, like I said, at a loss. What's going on in the car world that's driving me crazy? I mean, oh, hold on. Let's see here. Um, hold on. I got to type to Derek here. I guess he's joining us. He just walked in his door. Uh, let's see here. I told him I'm already broadcasting. Join in when you can. Uh, if I could spell. My fingers are too fat uh, for cell phones. I were like the old days with the treos. Not that I'm going to encourage it, but you used to be, I used to be able to pick up my treo and be driving and type without ever looking at the screen. I think the problem with texting and driving really came to when we went to the iPhones and the touch screens. Not that I think we should text and drive, but it used to be all natural. You had firm buttons you can hit. And that, that actually, I think, will go a little bit into a topic. I think we've touched on it before is all the touch screens and things that go into a car. Um, which was kind of funny because before Derek texted, I was thinking I want to talk a little bit about the new Ford Lightning and uh, potentially the General Motors Hummer. I'm right there on the fence. I'm probably too late to, for it to make a difference, but I'm really thinking of going ahead and spending the 100 bucks and getting on the list for a Ford Lightning. One of the reasons I waited is I don't know if I really want to pay for it in, in the fall. Maybe I want to pay for it next spring. And I really don't think they'll start delivering in the fall, as our episode last week discussed. Uh, or unless Will gets busy and makes his own microchips, we're going to have a very interesting, what do you want to call it, um, fall. Everybody's saying, oh, the fall, we're going to catch up, we're going to catch up, we're going to catch up. Well, the fall is going to get the microchips that we need now. Where are the fall's microchips going to be? I mean, I think you just basically have to take six months and poof, and that's where we're at. I mean, it's going to take a long time for everything to catch up to the, you know, the microchip shortage. Uh, you know, and it's, it's, you know, the cars are built, everything, but, okay, say Ford has their 30,000 F-250s parked at stadiums across the country, and they get a shipment of microchips, and they go ahead and ship the trucks, and they send them to the dealers, and then they ship the microchips out to the dealers. Did they get 60,000 microchips that day? Eh, who knows? But I are those microchips going to go into those trucks right away? Or are they going to go into the trucks on the assembly line? See, there's, there's a lot of uh, complications and things that go into the microchips. See what happens when I don't have a little outline in front of me telling me what to do 
where I need the other guys to, so that you don't have to listen to me be bored and scatterbrained and thinking like that. Getting a lot of ums and oohs and ahs and abs- things I absolutely despise. But that's, I guess we want to say, no driving gloves. We're coming here. We're talking about some things. Um, I totally lost where I was going. Like I said, I was thinking about ordering the Ford Lightning. I think the thing is phenomenal. I mean, the performance, the towing. Right now, they're saying the range is 300 miles. What's electric? What are electric cars going to be in six months? What are they going to be in 12 months? Are we going to actually get, you know, something that's 300 miles today as battery technology improves? We going to get 400? Is this truck going to come out with 400? Uh, I also found it really neat that the batteries are U.S. made for the truck. So there's none of this mining, exporting, re, re-exporting, you know, mine it here, send it here, then process it, and then send it back so that it can be built and then send it back. And, um, you know, building, building batteries in this country is a really good thing. Um, and I just... You know, there's so many of these little trucks that are going to appear, but, you know, I think Ford's going to take it by storm. It really looks like they're actually going to come out at $39,995, and there's going to be some trucks that are going to be in that range. I guarantee you most of them will be spec'd out. It probably, guessing in the 70s, maybe low 80s. I mean, they do technically go up to a base price of 96000 but if we get up to a base price of 96000 then all of a sudden you're into that new Hummer territory. And that thing, um, if there was a legacy to me to the Hummer, that really could be it. The amount of torque that has, the the multi-configurable ways the drivetrain can run, the four-wheel drive, the all-wheel drive system, the completely variable torque splits, the, in a way, how it can steer with the electric motors, um, the modular battery packs you know, basically insert themselves into the frame and can be removed as big, massive units. Oh, why am I talking about electric cars? Oh, that's because I've probably been spending a little bit of time bouncing around Ford's website. Uh, excuse me, Ford's website, looking at the um, lightning and talking and thinking. And who knows? You know, I'm kind of a technology geek and kind of like to spend money uh, that I don't have. I'm getting better at it, so that's probably why I didn't rush out and order one. But heck, I'd have my name on the list for the Tesla pickup. I'd have my name on the Ford uh, Ford list. If General Motors is doing a Hummer list, I would have checked that out. You know, I just want to be cool and have the the first newest thing. Um, where am I going to go from there? I kind of talked out a little bit. You know, the show you got to really let us know if you're liking this live stream. We're working on the backdrops and everything. You know, I still have my green screen behind me, still working on some uh, internet and processing things. I've um, went from low memory in my computer last week where we had some issues and uh, added 32 gigs. And I think I'm going to go ahead and add the other 32 gig stick here and go ahead and bring this up to 64 gig computer so that we can live stream with live stream with some graphics and that. Um, could really make for some interesting interviews. Derek and I keep saying we've got some interviews coming up around the corner and really excited to try to grab some of that stuff. Um, and I'm actually thinking of doing, and I'll, heck, I'll announce it. It's it's kind of my show. We'll live with it. Um, let's say if you, the, the first person to send an email in 
we just might go ahead and invite on as a guest host. I think it'd be cool to have a listener come on and just chat with us. I mean, ask questions, field, field our questions. Uh, not, not, we're not going to interview you. We want you to be part of the group. So I'm going to say the first person who actually sends an email to uh, nodrivinggloves at gmail.com, we're going to go ahead and have you on the show. Uh, it's going to be news to Derek and Will, but obviously they're not quite on time. So actually, I don't think Will's going to make it tonight. He, he had a pretty successful weekend uh, showing that 57 Chevy of his or his clients. And I think they're getting ready for the next show. Of course, Derek's getting ready for his uh, first outing with his Lloyd. He's been invited to a show with that, in addition to all the um, concours and that that he's been invited to with uh, the National Corvette Museum. So he, he's got a busy travel season ahead. And, you know, maybe if it's a successful guest spot, maybe he could become that fourth slash fifth guest host because, you know, again, Sean joined us last week and that was the first time in 2021 Sean had joined us. He's just buried with his business and production problems and supplier issues. And he's not immune from it. I mean, launched a business in a pandemic, doing pretty good, getting orders. And just like everybody else, I think that he's having, he's having some supply chain issues and it's driving him nuts and driving him batty and, I actually, I don't even know if he's been on social media much since he'd been on the, uh, was on the podcast last week. He's just been, been focused on what he needs to. I've been buried and focused on what I need to. I don't think, well, I said I ha I don't have a day off for like two, two and a half weeks straight. She says, Era said to me this morning that eh, I thought you were, you didn't have a day off. And I said, uh, what do you mean? She goes, well, you're home today. So I got up today. I edited a book. Uh, Small Business Birmingham podcast. I started editing a Point podcast. I started editing our interview, No Driving Gloves podcast. Uh, so, yeah, I spent some time um, with my business trying to catch up. And that's, you know, I, I prepped a little bit for the discussion that we talked about tonight and things that we were going to discuss tonight. But um, I wonder where Derek's at. He said he was just a few minutes off. Uh Let's see here. You coming? If not, I'm really going to have to dig and do some quick internet searching and find us something to talk about. You know, what amazing car news. If I, if I say go to Facebook and I type in uh, car news, let's see here. Car. I've never typed in car news um, on Facebook to see what's going on. If, if it really pr provides anything. Um Boy, I bet you that's annoying me going. Oh, he says he's logging in right now. Maybe he's gonna maybe he's gonna come save us. I don't know if he is. Meet the Maverick. This one's neither a gambler or nor a Ford. Hmm. That's a classic. Oh, that's from Jeffrey Hacker, previous guest on the show back in the mid 100s I think. We had Jeff on the show. It's been early last spring. I don't have my uh, show inventory pulled up for me to quickly call back and reflect on that. But um, I guess, was there a weekly roundup of collector car show and vintage updates? Is that his? Let me click that through. Yeah, fiberglass. And, yep, this is something that looks, I want to say, kind of like a cross between an Etzel and a Delahaye and... It's one of these things that um, 
you know, his thing works for forgotten fiberglass and it's really interesting. Forgotten fiberglass is a interesting company in that I don't know how he does it. We talked about it on the show a little bit, never really dug into how he does it, but Jeffrey's been collecting these cars from the fifties for many years that, you know, one offs or two offs hand built, you know, they eventually became kit cars, but they're also prototypes and things coming into the world that are, um, I don't want to say, or people's dreams that they were producing in the fifties. And Jeffrey has been able to find and save and uh, continue on with uh, some of the, you know, I, like I said, I don't know how he does it. He survived a hurricane and many of these cars survived uh, the hurricane with him and he's back to restoring and showing. And I think he got into it back. I don't know well, when he was a youth and I don't know what era that was. His first car was a um, um, fiberglass prototype and uh, he still owns it. And uh, this is like 30, 35 years later. And you know what happens? You get these things and you uh, fall into the hole and you, you just never get out of it. I mean, I'm sure Derek can go ahead and talk about how he, um, you know, fell into this hole of what do you want to call it? Um, um, his pre-war fetish of, with automobiles and things like that. Wow. You're going to take it there. I just, I show up a few minutes late and you take it there. Were you talking about our buddy, Jeff Hacker? Is that who I was just hearing about? Yeah, we oh, he I was d- digging for news. I didn't have a t- uh, uh, script up for a fifteen-minute solo show. Ah, well, you know, some of us, some of us run late every now and then. So I apologize well, to our listeners. Those of you with paying day jobs, how dare you? Ah, how dare we? <laughs> ah, yeah. Speaking of Jeff, I got to get with Jeff because I I want to do a. Um, article with him on my Lloyd and you know I mean he's he's done forgotten fiberglass and and all of that but he's now even stepped into the world I'm I'm trying to remember what is it what's he calling is is like he's got forgotten fiberglass is the other one like undiscovered classics now is that what it is yep undiscovered excuse me undiscovered classic is actually his his current um and it's a much more appropriate name because some of the stuff he's digging out now is actually metal bodied and oh yeah yeah uh, yeah and that's i'd like to get the lloyd kind of on that um undiscovered classics page and try to learn more about it uh i'm actually pretty heavily working on it right now um try to get it ready for a show in about two and a week and a half i don't know what it is anymore um but yeah, Jeff's Jeff's a good guy. He finds a lot of crazy stuff. But um, so yeah, wait, what did you want me to talk about, John? How I got uh, involved in the pre-war well, I was stuff? kind of Is saying, you know, we Jeff got into these fiberglass one-offs with the first car he ever had, and I can't remember what it's called. It's on, you know, on the header of his pay Facebook page. It's that shark thing. Yes. Sorry, sorry, Jeff, that I can't remember, but you know that sent him down this road. And he has never looked back. You know, I honest, I imagine he has a Suburban or something for when he travels and finds these things and drags them out. Maybe that's his daily driver. But I really don't know what his daily driver is or anything like that. I was going to say he recently, within the last few days, had a birthday. Maybe that's your way to reach out to him. 
Yeah, well, oh. actually, he may have sent me an email in the last month that I haven't responded to because we've been working so extensively on the, um, well, the renovation of the restaurant at the museum and the new exhibit that opened up this past Saturday. So um, I apologize to anyone who has emailed me within the last month because it likely didn't get answered. Um, I'll try to get back to you. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I've talked about it on the show before, uh, but so when I was growing up, not only, you know, we had a, a smaller pole barn than what is at the house I grew up at now, uh, but my dad had a 1937 Ford two-door sedan trunk back. And it was a restoration project that was sitting idle, as he always said. He bought it in, I think it was 1973. And mom and dad got married in 1974. The 37 Ford is still not restored. Uh, Evidently, that's what marriage and children and things like that do to you. Uh, But I'd say that in jest a little bit, so... Hopefully no one takes offense. Uh, but <clears throat> over the years, of course, it's it's like me. You know, you get into work, you get busy. Uh, the, the hobbies fall to the back burner sometimes. And so the 37 Ford always just kind of was sitting in the pole barn. And um, I guess that was my first kind of look at the pre-war cars. You know, I grew up with that thing just sitting out in the barn, the flathead V8. And, you know, I knew what it was. I'd, I'd learned about it and read about it. And dad talked to me about it. But the, probably the big thing was the fact that my dad, uh, you know, maintained for quite a few years uh, what was the Mitchell collection in Owasso, Michigan, uh, which sold off at auction a couple years ago now, uh, maybe five years ago. And within that collection, there were not only the cars that the Mitchell Bentley, Mitchell Bentley, and then the Ionia Car Company, and some of those things that Don Mitchell owned had built. So a lot of Woody wagons that came out of the Ionia uh, Car Company over in Ionia, Michigan. But you know, Mitchell Bentley Corporation was a bodybuilder. They built like the Continental Mark II bodies, a bunch of stuff. But Don Mitchell and his son, Bill Mitchell, uh, were related to the Mitchells that founded the Mitchell uh, Car Car Corporation in Racine, Wisconsin, back in the, I think they started in the late 19 aughts or mid 19 aughts. I'm not remembering right offhand right now. Um, and so there was one room that just had a lineup of the early horseless carriage, brass era, uh, and nickel era Mitchell automobiles. And I spent a lot of time just in that room, uh, drooling over the cars. And so I, I have a lot of memories around that early brass nickel horseless carriage type stuff from that, and then the 37 Ford being at home. And I, I always dreamed of, of, you know, finishing that car one day. Maybe we still will, who knows? We'll see. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's what threw me into the whole thing and dad just restoring cars in general at the house. 
throughout my life, a lot of Corvettes came through because my dad was a fiberglass guy. And uh, so, yeah, we did a lot of those, uh, a couple kit cars along the way and just whatever kind of came, came our way. Uh, the, the 29 Roosevelt that we're finishing up is, you know, one of the cars that we love and, and have been working on since I was at home before I graduated high school. So uh, th- dad also has a slogan that uh, evidently customer cars come first. So um, I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't understand that. But. Oh, did that, did, that, did that kill enough time and answer the uh, question in a long, drawn out way? Well, that's what I was going to say. We just had seven minutes of ums and ahs out of Derek. So oh, it, Lord, it, made here up, we go. it made up with my ums and ahs. But now we need Derek to tap his microphone to make sure his microphone's actually working because it sounds like he's on his computer. Yeah. Check, 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 check. No, tap the microphone. Yeah, your microphone's turned off, dude. Ah, oh, well, that is not good. You're coming through on the uh, old laptop microphone with a lot of echo. It's a little blue light on, on the microphone. <laughs> or have you switched it in the settings? I don't know if I can do that on my end here for you or not. Nope, I can't. Let's see your guests. Nope, I can't do it on my end. You, you've got to do it on your end. You should have a selection for camera. And Is that better? Is that better? Is that oh, better? Oh, yeah. Yep. Now when you tap it, we got it. So, see, on the fly, that's, that, that's why I'm so... I'm always distracted, and I um, welcome to welcome to live podcasting. Yes, Uh, this was all John's idea, uh, so don't blame those of us that are uh, technologically inept at setting up our microphones, being live streaming, any of that. So, well, well, the the listeners know I only texted sixteen or seventeen times to you, rushing you while you were trying to get on. (laughs) So easily overlooked so we know you've obviously been working a little bit late struggling to get i have, to I, have Ray. I guess that's what's i have wrapped two text you up. messages i have two text messages from john well they saw me doing it because that, that helped kill a minute or so of time and not to mention i had my technical issue at the beginning i forgot to turn the volume up on our intro so hey nobody had to sit through the intro today you know this is no driving gloves and uh whatever but we will have the outro for you, the long, drawn-out outro that Derek yes. so loves. Yes. So uh, when Derek and I were talking <sighs> earlier today or texting and finding out who was going to be the sh- on the show and who wasn't and find out all the excuses, it was right after I saw a Facebook post from a former guest of the show, and he had posted this car. And he goes, I really don't know if I like this body kit, and I don't think I'm going to get one for my car. And... It immediately sent me into this rage that I get. First of all, it's a wide body kit. I don't know. I'm not totally in the camera. Wide body kit. And it, I hate, I hate that term. I absolutely hate the wide body kit. We talked about it with Will and the Rocket Racing Camaro when he did a wide body. And it's one of these kits that looks like a Liberty Walk kit. It's got bolt holes all the way around the fenders, and that's how you put the kit on. You drill through, and, you know, they're not hidden fasteners. There's not caps that go over where the... And, yeah, I guess it's a look, and people have come to accept it because we settle for subpar, half ass work now. 
but it drives me that drives me nuts that it's half ass. And then what drives me upset or makes me even more upset is calling it a wide body. They're fender flares. You know, they're bolt on fender flares. The whole lineup from Dodge and their Hellcats and then whatever, their wide body, they're fender flares. They're bolt on fender flares. Wide body, go to the 1990 Corvette ZR1. That's a wide body. They made the car wider. It's what? What is it? Four inches wider than a standard Corvette. And, I uh, believe so. Yeah, but yeah, but no. don't. I, I'm going to stop you there because you don't have to go all the way back to that. The Corvette, any of the Corvettes, Grand Sport, ZR1, even in the C6, C7 generation, are wide bodies. The body is actually, it is wider than the Stingray or the base model Corvette. It is a true wide body from factory. Yeah, what would be so hard for Fiat, Stellantis, Christ, whoever the hell they are today, to kind of make a couple of dies and make that car taper a little bit and not have these stupid bolt-on things that I can... We talked about J.C. Whitney a few weeks ago, and I don't know if you really could, but you could order from J.C. Whitney when I was in high school. And you guess what? Those fender flares had external fasteners, and that's how we made fun of them. You went and bought the really fancy stuff from, what is it, Ranchero or Bushwhacker. You couldn't see the fasteners, and that's how you knew cheap from good. But here we are in 2021, and let's spend, you know, 20 grand on a Liberty Walk kit so some dude can rivet it on from the outside because he can't take a fender off or an inner fender panel and both attach the thing properly, you know, and that's just for the flares. But, you know, you know, we've got a wide body Cadillac. It's six inches wider than most Cadillac ATSs. And it all tapers. It's not fender flares or anything. There's a lot of body work in it. Um, there's a fortune in it and there's actually a pair of wide body front fenders for it that I know where they're at. I need to go get them. They're not on the car right now, but it would be, you know, that's, that's a wide body. The stuff that everybody's calling a wide body. Now it just, it irks me so much that, you know, I told Derek, let's just go ahead and come up with some terms that frankly, piss us off you know and then we we hate seeing them used so i threw out wide body did you bring anything to the table Derek? or otherwise i got a list where where do you want me to start <laughs> well uh, i know, let me, let I know me go i've down got the list. one on the list say i got one on the list that i know you got it's it's probably going to be the same rant i'm going to go into right now which is unrestored and survivor <laughs> i hate those terms uh, it's not that I hate them. It's, it's the fact that we need to define them in the automotive world, especially in the collector car world. Uh, we need to define them clearly and everyone in the hobby needs to accept them. Well, uh, I thought, I thought we had to find them because there is this wonderful term on restored survivor. I have no comments, <laughs> but it, I mean, it's, we need to decide number one, you know, where we're going to draw a line. And it, it, I get it. It gets very, very difficult because there are so many varying degrees of what can be acceptable. 
uh, and it, it's just, it's very frustrating. Oh, and the other one, and probably if, if I haven't already hit it, John, can I take a guess what the one might be that's on your list that you think is probably the one that bothers me the most museum quality. <laughs> that's not on my list, but I think museum quality is a well-defined term. Unfortunately, most people have the wrong definition of it. Yeah, museum quality is uh, a very poorly defined term in the automotive it world. It came out of a museum. It has to be the absolute best, most pristine, most accurate example of whatever we're talking about. You know, whether it be a car, whether it be a watch, whether it be a television set, it has to be absolutely perfect. It came out of a museum. Isn't that right, Derek? I keep no. leaving the man speechless. no, no. <laughs> No, it it, it 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 museum quality is not an over restored uh, vehicle or watch or clock or anything. It just is not. Uh, maybe okay. Maybe in some museums, and I apologize to those who accept that. But museum, I as I've said, and and this is the way I view it as a museum curator, and you know not just as the you know director of collections and curator for the Corvette Museum, but in, in the museum world in general, there is no way to, to define museum quality because every artifact has a different story and each story means that that artifact is going to have a different quality about it. There is no museum quality because the, 1906 locomobile that won the 1908 Vanderbilt cup race known as old 16. That's at Henry Ford museum is museum quality, but it's an unrestored car that has paint losses. It shows patina. It has age and that's perfect because it's had a life, a life that it has lived. And that patina tells the life that that car has lived uh, you know, there may be a watch in a museum that, you know, I, I'm the Mona Lisa. Okay, let's go with the Mona Lisa. Everybody knows the Mona Lisa. And I jumped to that because Old 16 is called the Mona Lisa of the automotive world. The Mona Lisa is not perfect in any way. It is, it shows its age. It's, you know, crazed. It's, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a pristine, perfect piece of artwork hanging on the wall at the Louvre. It is not even close to that. Now, are there other pieces? I mean, there yeah, there's modern art that's hanging in art galleries. I'm mean, Andy Warhol's Jackson Pollock's that have no age to them right now, or maybe only a little because they've only been painted within the last 70, 75 years. And yeah, they look pristine and they're probably going to stay looking fairly pristine because they're in an art institute that has art conservators that are going to keep them that way. They're, they're going to be under greater care than something like the Mona Lisa or necessarily Old 16 had been in its early life when it was just a painting or just an automobile. And, you know, there are the cars that are in museums that have historic significance that are more modern uh the corvette museum we have the very last front engine stingray that will ever be built it's a c7 corvette 
it was the second to last C7 built, and it was the last front-engine Corvette to carry the Stingray name badge. And it was acquired by the museum to preserve that part of history. And guess what? You're right. That car looks brand new and it always will because it is in the museum's care. And that is the way we will keep it. So tell me how you can have a museum quality vehicle. Well, you I think can't. you you actually said something right there. And not only do you have this absolutely pristine what uh 2019 c7 corvette you also have these other corvettes in the museum that would be constituted museum quality that you pulled out of a hole did you not and yes <laughs> and that's not exactly museum quality that i'm going to drive around town i mean that it, by definition those are museum quality because a museum found it fit that they were historically Significant. Yes. <laughs> Enough to display the way they are and not not restore them or scrap them, because I believe the you know, the ones that and I may be wrong. And this is just me trying to remember the ones that are were not restored were beyond restoration. It was either preserve this moment in history or make them into Tupperware. Uh, you, know, you know, so I guess you get your auction catalog without photos and you say, what 19 whatever 1990 blah 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 corvette 1993 40th yeah. anniversary ruby red corvette yeah <laughs> museum quality <And laughs> here here's the thing there is there is a great example you know i i talk to people so five cars are left unrestored three have been restored because they were not terribly damaged uh the the blue devil zr1 the prototype zr1 from the c6 generation known as blue devil the one millionth corvette historically significant in its own right and the 1962 tuxedo black corvette all three of those were had very minor what i would call very minor damage took very little to truly get the cars back to where they belong and a majority of the car stayed uh, with its original finishes you know they did not restore every single part of the car pardon me i'm about to sneeze okay i'm back and uh but the other four of the cars are basically one of a kinds there's the ppg pace car the one and a half millionth the the only what was the only remaining zr1 spider of the two c4 zr1 spiders they built and a mallet hammer conversion C5. Those four are irreplaceable. If, if you're going to replace them, you're going to be building a replica of the car because they're so far gone. There's no way to use parts off of those cars to bring them back. Now come to the 1993 40th anniversary Corvette that fell into the hole, the, what the people call the Ruby red cars. And I mean, when you look at it, it's it's not horrible. It's very evident that it fell in the sinkhole. Uh, it, you don't see some of the undercarriage damage, obviously the way it's displayed, some suspension, you know, broken suspension that would take a lot to repair. But the reason that car was elected to be left alone is because there's thousands of those 30th an- or 40th anniversary ruby red Corvettes running around on the streets. Matter of fact, we have another one in the collection that is all original, you know, left 
being never has had any damage. It's the way it came out of the factory, just with some miles on it. So to restore the Ruby red Corvette that fell into the sinkhole would probably actually remove the most historically significant moment in that Corvette's life. And that's what makes, especially that car's damage museum quality, because it's not just another Ruby red Corvette driving around on the streets or sitting in the museum looking pristine. It is the Ruby red Corvette that fell into the sinkhole and still shows the damages from that day. That's museum quality. Uh, I guess I don't have a comment to that because I mean, I don't know if you can really cite a better example of museum quality and it really explain it on how it can be so drastic because those were perfect cars. I know I saw them a couple of months before they um, took their excursion 80 feet down and they were perfect cars are damn near perfect cars um, running, driving, usable things. And now they are icons of a moment in time. Uh, it would be like if it was true, pulling the 19, whatever it was, I want to say 16, but that'd be wrong. 1908 Renault up from the Titanic that, you know, Jack was writing poetry on or, uh, Rose was posing nude on. I can't remember exactly what happened around that car, but supposedly that Renault that was in the movie, if that actually existed and you were able to bring that up from the Titanic, it would be a huge disservice to that car to restore it into another 1908 Renault. Cause there's other 1908 Renaults, but there's no 1908 other 1908 Renault. So the actually a uh, funny story or interesting tidbit about that. Uh, basically what is considered the sister car to that car. Uh, it was built, I believe maybe even the same day and uh, identical body, identical, you know, everything's pretty much identical about it still exists. That car is out there. So you can see what that car, what the Renault that's on the Titanic sitting at the bottom of the Atlantic ocean looks like. I believe the one that still survives is blue. And the one that was on the Titanic was red. I don't remember exactly, but you know, it, like you say, why would you bring it up? Why it's 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 relevant where it is. And it's funny that you talked about the Titanic because I was actually kind of leaning towards talking about famous shipwrecks. And, <laughs> you know, you don't bring up a famous ship and, and go through it and restore it. They bring up famous ships that have sunk and they conserve them. I, I specifically am thinking about the Hunley because I actually got a chance to go see that. Well, re remember, and, at a point in my career, I actually did conservation work to Titanic artifacts and Carpathia exactly. artifacts. So exactly, I'm, I'm very familiar with trying to preserve preserve that. And we did it with deck chairs. We did it with coffee. I want to say these gorgeous brass coffee pots, but they had kind of collapsed in on themselves and we could have made them round again and everything, but it destroys their point in time. And the one I love to discuss the bedpans that sat next to my desk when I was with, at that job, porcelain bedpans, white star lines, uh, logos, gold, you know, 24 karat, 24 karat gold trim and all this. These were the bedpans that were put in the staterooms. 
these actually came and they were never used and they still even had their tissue paper in between them. And when we brought them up and we conserved them, did all the conservation work and separated them, the tissue paper is still perfect and you can read the white star lines. And that really says a lot to me on it's not fake, but it did, you know, this massive ch ship and everything that got destroyed around it and porcelain bedpans and tissue paper survived in perfect shape. And just that story, just always looking at those things, always just, you know, kind of kind of floors you when you think about it. Go back to your yeah. shipwrecks. <laughs> <laughs> This show is a shipwreck, sir. Uh, no. <laughs> no, I'm just, it, it, I guess if I had to pick one term in the, even if we're going just the collector car hobby, and I had to say, I had the power to say, please stop using that phrase and no one ever use it again, it would be museum quality because. I, in my opinion, there is no way to define a museum quality artifact because of what I said before. It depends on the artifact and the story that it's telling. And it's, as you say, John, it's, you know, and we say it in conservation all the time. It's moment in history or it's moment in time. What is the moment in time you're trying to capture of the story? The Jim Clark Lotus. It was trying to capture the moment it crossed the finish line at the 65 Indianapolis 500. Well, we did that when I was at the Barber Museum. I was involved with the um, conservation. And I actually had to push a lot for what I did with a 1962 Lotus 27. The car was raced in 62. In the fall of 62, the guy put it in his basement and it never came out again. Uh, we eventually acquired the car and, you know, the uh, you could restore it make it look like every other Lotus 27 on the planet. But I, I took it to the absolute extreme in the conservation where every bolt went back into the exact same hole and to the best of my ability was in the exact same position when it finished. It's still tight, but if, you know, it was a slotted screw and the head was running one to one to eight o'clock or one to seven o'clock, it went back and, one to seven o'clock. I took notes that precise. There was a mistake made by another technician working on it that destroyed portions of trying to preserve this thing exactly to 1962. And part of that was, you know, Mr. Barber still wanted it to run. And that's part of what they say about the Barber collection. Everything runs. Eh. But, um, you know, the brake lines took them out, figured out how to clean them, figured out, you know, just everything on that, the cracked fiberglass that could have been repaired, the paint touch-ups that could have been done, you know, so that that's museum quality. And I don't think I would ban the term. I don't think any of these terms, depending however many we get to, need to be banned. I just think people need to be educated on the proper definitions. Like I, I went off on wide body. You went off on um, museum quality. You know, I'll throw, say, the one of the other ones and gets talked about a lot is Roadster. Your Lloyd's a Roadster, correct? It is 100%. And they haven't made a Roadster if, since 96, if I'm not mistaken. There has not been a production Roadster. You know, they call the Miata Roadster. No, it's a two-seat convertible. It's got roll-up windows and it has door handles. 
the last Roadster, I think, that was produced by a major manufacturer was the 92 to 96 Dodge Viper in RT10 form, which the coupe didn't come till 97. And that's when they added door handles and roll-up windows to it. Prior to that, it was side curtains and no exterior door handles. Um, it did have the roll bar, which kind of makes it a little fuzzy. But I, I I go crazy when people say it's a two-seat Roadster and it's a BMW Z3 or a Porsche Boxster. And people just have come to accept these terms. And the purists among us don't have much say in it. Um, I think in the description of the show, I said, you know, these terms are just becoming marketing terms. Museum quality is a marketing term to make something sound better than what it is because nobody mm -hmm. understands what it means. Wide body. Ooh, it's cool. It's wide body. It goes fast. I bolted on fiberglass fender flares that I, you know, buy at AutoZone. Um, it's these little terms. I mean, they're great terms and they work, but nobody understands what they mean. I mean, do we sell any manufacturer right now? Does anybody actually sell a four-door car? I'm, 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 See, I have to ask questions now yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because are you talking about, you said a four-door car. Are you talking about a four-door sedan, a four-door hardtop? What, what type of car? Exactly. There are a lot of four-door cars out there. <laughs> <laughs> there are a lot but of are cars they with sedans. Are they, are they hardtops? Are they, what are they? 